Second Thessalonians chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses six through eighteen. But you know what? Let's take a side trip already, real quick. Just First Thessalonians chapter four. It's probably what maybe two or three pages back for you. Go back just a couple pages to First Thessalonians chapter four and look at verse eleven and twelve with me. It's going to be kind of foundational for what we're talking about today. We saw this when we were going through the, the first book, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eleven and twelve says. Paul is speaking to the same church. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. You guys remember that? You guys remember when we talked about that? Um, now I want to show you a picture. See that guy? It's pretty cool. He is 104 years old. Doesn't look it. He's 104 years old, and he's still working. He's still working on a bee farm. His name is Waldo McBurney. And I think if Waldo had lived in Thessalonica, Paul could have just said, just, just look at Waldo and see what he's doing. Let me read this to you. This is uh, from Quinter, Kansas. Waldo McBurney lives in two worlds, uh, uh, one of buggies and hitching posts and the other of a growing trend of older Americans working longer. Still spry and agile at 104, McBurney briskly walks most days from home to office in this uh, high plains farming community where he raises bees and sells honey. When McBurney was born on a nearby farm, flying was left to the birds and people communicated by writing letters. A three-mile trip to town in a wagon took half an hour and working 10 hours a day, six days a week was a norm. McBurney has worked since he can remember. At age four or five, he gathered eggs from the hens in the old sod house where his parents had lived until shortly before he was born. His, his, paying job at, his first paying job at age 13 was, a, was guiding a lead team of horses, pulling a wheat thrasher. For that, he was paid 50 cents a day. And he goes on and talks about how he wins this award, the America's Oldest Worker, for 2006. And uh, says, after McBurney's award, the town erected a sign near his office. Congratulations, Waldo, America's Oldest Worker. He replied, I never considered myself a great character. They're testing my humility. Those who know McBurney say he's indeed a humble man who believes in helping his neighbor. He doesn't think he's more special than anyone else. I don't know if I've ever heard a negative word out of his mouth, said Laura Kessler, vice president of Kansas Land Bank. He always looks at the positive side, and that's probably why he's lived as long as he has. For McBurney, work is good. After graduating from college in 1927, he, graduated, he, he worked a quarter century variously as a vocational agriculture teacher, county extension agent, and at the local co-op. In the 50s, he started a seed cleaning business. He also took a decades-long hobby of beekeeping and went into the honey business. Um, it just goes on and on about how busy this man has stayed. Then uh, it ends with this. The... Uh, he says, McBurney believes in a healthy diet with lots of whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, much of it grown in his garden. He says, the kids in the city come home from school with nothing to do. They sit down in front of the TV with a bottle of pop and a sack of potato chips, and they get fat. And fat is a killer, he said. McBurney says he never smoked or drank alcohol, which he believes helped him live longer. I always got along fairly well without them, so I still don't know the taste of either of them. Faith has been the center of McBurney's life, and it's why he doesn't worry about death. The Bible says, he, uh, McBurney says, the Bible says God will supply all your needs. I feel like the next life is secure. That's pretty cool. This uh, Waldo McBurney, he's 104 years old. You can, you can uh, put, put that away now. 
I think if Paul was writing this letter and he knew about Waldo, he'd say, okay, see Waldo, just do what he does. Just follow his example. To review Second Thessalonians, you guys remember in chapter 1, chapter 1 was a commendation to the Thessalonians. It was basically Paul saying, look, I'm so thankful for you guys. I brag about your faith. I brag about your love. In chapter 2, it was all about correction. Paul had to correct some misunderstandings they had about doctrine. Basically, in a nutshell, he said to them in chapter 2, no, you are not going through the tribulation right now. It might seem like it, but you're not going through the great tribulation. Now in chapter 3, we, we began it last week. Paul is talking about conduct. Conduct. How do you live in light of the fact that Jesus could be coming very soon? But on the other hand, that Jesus might not come back for the next 10 generations. He could be coming back in 10 minutes or it might be 10 generations. How do you live in these end times, if you will, with these two thoughts? Well, apparently there were Christians in Thessalonica who were so convinced that Jesus was coming back very soon that they, they quit their jobs. And apparently... We can deduce from our text today. They began mooching off their friends. They were like, hey, you mind if I come over for pizza tonight? I mean, I've, I've been so busy. I'm really busy serving the Lord, and I just don't have time to work. We also know that in a lot of churches, they would have uh, ways that they would minister to the orphans and the widows. Maybe a, a soup line or a way that they would serve these folks who were in genuine need. It seems that maybe these guys who were too busy doing spiritual things to work, they would maybe show up at the soup line. They're like, you know what, I didn't have time to work in the fields today or last week or last month for that matter. So, you know, can I, can I have some food? In our text today, Paul's going to deal with those people in really no uncertain terms. Look at verse 6. Paul says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... That you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Before we get into this too much, I need to remind you there's military language in here. Just like we saw in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is using some words that you would, if you were reading the Greek, you would go, oh. That's a military word. The first one we see there is command. The word is pergalo. We've seen it in 1 Thessalonians as well. He uses it here in verse 6. He uses it in verse 10, you, may, you might see, the command. And verse 12, he also uses this word. What it means is to transmit a message from one place to another. It's to transmit a command, if, it were, if you will, uh, down from someone else. So Paul is basically saying, look, we're com we are passing on this command from our commander-in-chief. Jesus. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. The word disorderly there is another military word. You might, you'll see it here. And you'll also see it in verse 7, disorderly. You'll also see it in verse 11. The word disorderly, and we saw this back in 1 Thessalonians, the word is atactos. It is specifically a soldier who walks out of rank. He is doing his own thing. If you ask any military man, anybody who's been through the military, 
I think they would tell you how important it is. One of the very first things you learn is to follow orders. Matter of fact, when you're in the military, now, I haven't been in the military, but again, I, I, I think I can figure this out. When you're in the military, the one thing that the first thing that they do pretty much is to drill it into you that you need to follow orders. You know why? Because when it comes time to fight, if you're not used to following orders, you're going to follow your instincts. You're going to run like a little girl. Right? Oh, mommy, they're shooting at me. That's what you're going to do unless you have been trained to follow orders. Most men aren't born brave enough for combat. I certainly am not. Most men are trained to follow orders. And when the battle comes, they stand fast. And it's not because they're inherently brave, but it's because they've learned how to follow orders. And when someone becomes a tactos, in other words, disorderly, out of ranks, when someone gets out of rank and they start doing their own thing, they put the whole platoon in danger. Let me give you an example. Let's say the orders for our platoon are that we keep hidden in the trenches until we hear the, the specific signal and we're supposed to attack by surprise. But let's say one soldier goes attacktos and he, he says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to jump up and I'm going to blow them all away. What's going to happen? He's going to get killed and he's going to put the whole platoon in danger because he did not follow orders. He did his own thing. The soldier that walks out of rank is a danger to his whole group. And Paul says, withdraw, stay away from that foolish soldier. Look at verse 6 again. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now, the word tradition here doesn't mean like, hey, we have a tradition where we, you know, uh, string uh, popcorn at Christmas time. He's not talking about tradition in that way. What he's talking about is teaching. He's basically saying, don't stray. Don't, those people who are straying from the teaching that we gave to you, withdraw from them. Now, what is the tradition? What is the tradition that Paul has given them? We just saw it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul wrote it down, this tradition, this teaching. He says that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. What we're going to see in this book, in verse 7, we're going to see that just like Waldo McBurney, Paul also taught by example. Look at verse 7. This was the tradition he gave them. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. The word follow in verse 7 is mimeteo. It's where we get the word mimic. Paul says, you should mimic us, you should imitate how we were when we were with you. Paul says, you can follow the example that we set when we were with you. He says, we weren't disorderly. We weren't out of rank. Paul's saying, look, it wasn't like, okay, I have these rules for you guys, but then I have, I'm going to live by a different set of rules because, you know, I'm an apostle. Paul didn't have a different set of rules. He says, we didn't get out of rank. Now, unfortunately, we probably all know stories of gifted preachers who begin to believe their press clippings and start to think that they deserve special treatment. You know what happens. We've seen it over and over again. What happens when that happens is that the shepherd takes the fall, but unfortunately the sheep take the fall out. 
that's exactly what happens when a, a pastor, a preacher, begins to think that he is different, that he can get out of rank. Here's, a, here's an application for you. Who's your flock this morning? Moms, you guys know your flock, right? Who are you shepherding? Is it your family? Is it your coworkers? Are you a leader in the church? I can tell you, you are leading someone. And if you're leading someone, the point right here is that it's really critical that you stay in rank. You stay in file. Because when the shepherd takes a fall, the sheep take the fall out. If your words, think about it, if your words are in line with Scripture, if my words are in line with Scripture, but my life is out of rank, if your life is out of line, you are going to be leading those by one or the other. If your words line up with Scripture and your, your life doesn't, which do you think people are going to follow? They're going to follow your life, and they're going to follow your life into the, the ravine. Jesus called the Pharisees, what do you call them, hypocrites, and he said they were the blind, leading the blind. He says, what happens when you do that? The blind lead the blind. They both end up in the ditch. Paul says to these Thessalonians, he says, don't forget, guys, when we were with you, we didn't get out of line. We didn't get out of rank. He says, we marched in step with this same teaching that I'm giving you now, that I'm reminding you of. He says, we lived a quiet life. We worked hard. Look at verse 8. Paul says, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. See, the main issue here, one of the, the main issues of this whole epistle, the second one is freeloaders, people leeching off the system. You guys know that the church should be full of givers, right? You also know that makes us a prime target for People who are takers. I mean, it makes sense. If you're a taker, you, you will look for a place where there are a lot of givers. Paul says, don't forget, when we came and we taught you the gospel, we weren't takers. We were givers. We never ate free, he says, but we worked with labor and toil night and day. The word labor there is a beating. <laughs> we, we took a beating night and day. By working so hard. And the word toil there is hard and difficult labor. Toil, travail, hardship. Paul says, look, when we were here, when we were with you guys, we worked really hard. You guys know when a preacher works a regular job to provide for his ministry, you know what that's called, right? Tent making. Paul's tent making job was tent making. He was the guy who made up this name, right? He made tents so that he wouldn't be a burden on these Thessalonians. That's where we get the word. He worked hard, no doubt. I'm sure, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what it means to make tents, but I'm sure his thumbs were really sore, right? They didn't have sewing machines. We're talking animal skins, I'm sure. He was a stocky guy, we know. He probably got a good workout just moving products, moving finished tents from place to place to the market. Paul labored, it says, and toiled to provide for himself. Now, most of you guys know what my tent making job is, right? I sing at Disney World. You should see me slave away on that stage. 
Well, I'm singing really hard. Well, no, there's microphones. But I'm out in the sun. No, no there's, it's covered. Uh, okay, move on. Um, now, I'm not really embarrassed to tell you about that job anymore because I do spend hours working, toiling on this message. Thankfully, I don't have to spend hours working at the real job. And you might not believe it, but I actually do spend hours working on this message. God has given me a truly wonderful job with a lot of free time. But you guys know, God expects me to redeem that time. It's not just free time. He expects me to redeem it. Let me ask you. Has God given you some free time? Moms, you don't have to answer that question, I know. But maybe, maybe you're retired. Or maybe you're like me, you're blessed with a job that really doesn't take all that much. Or maybe you're single and you curse all the free time that you have. Paul says, you, what are you doing? We, we need to redeem the time. Listen, when you introduce yourself to someone new, what's one of the first things they ask? Hey, what do you do? What's your job? What's your career? You do know, right, that you are not your career. When someone says, who are you? You don't have to say, I'm a sprint worker. I'm a salesperson. I'm a business owner, a construction worker. Or maybe you even have a Mickey Mouse job like mine. That's not who you are. It is not who you are. The Bible says that you are a servant of the king. Think about that. The one who hung the heavens paid a very high price to recruit you. Here's the question then. How are you redeeming the time? Paul worked hard. He took a beating. He toiled at this thing called tent making. He worked extremely hard. It says night and day. Why? Verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. See, the reason that Paul would not accept free food, the reason he worked so hard is because he did not want to be a burden. Now, we know that Paul had the right to accept free food, free room and board. First Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, basically, don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. He basically says it's okay to, to pay someone to preach. But verse 9, he says, we, we didn't do that. Why? We didn't want to be a burden. And he says, verse 9, not because we did not have the authority, but to make ourselves an example. To make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. See, Paul was an apostle. He blessed them spiritually. He had the right to receive from them materially, but he gave up that right. Why? To make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. This is really cool. The word make there, at least I think it's cool. The word make there is didomai. It's best translated to give a gift. Paul says, look, we didn't want to take anything from you. No, we wanted to give you something. What did we want to give you? We wanted to give you an example. Parents. How many parents do we have in the room? Lots, right? I know because our kids are like, there's a million over there. It's... It's that time of year again. You know there's 43 shopping days left till Christmas? 
Maybe some of your kids have been lobbying for the latest thing. One of the greatest gifts you can give them is an example. Try that on your kids today. Say, hey, for Christmas I'm going to give you an example. Let me know how that turns out for you. But really, the word example here, this is neat too, I think. Um, The word example is tupos, T-U-P-O-S. It means the mark of a stroke or a blow, a print. It's a figure formed by a blow or impression. Like, I get the picture of a hammer and a chisel, of a brand. I was trying to make a, a today application of this concept. Only thing I could come up with is, at home we have a stamp that says, that you put on the back of a check that says, for deposit only. Right? You put, the, you put a blow on that check and it leaves an impression. And it leaves specific instructions that are from me. Right? For deposit only. Paul wanted to, literally, when he was in Thessalonica, he wanted to leave a good impression. He wanted to strike a blow that would leave living instructions, an example to these Thessalonians. Do you guys know? Have you thought about the fact that every person you meet, you're leaving an impression? You're leaving a mark. Here's a question. What kind of mark are you leaving? The mark that you leave when you meet with someone, when you meet a stranger, the mark that you leave, does it have Jesus' signature on it? Is it his brand? Does it point to him? Do you leave like the mark of encouragement? When people encounter you, do you strike a blow, leave a clearly definable positive mark in Jesus' name? Is it like a mark in Jesus' name or is it more like a mar in Jesus' name? Is it like a mark or is it like a smudge? And because you're a Christian, people blame him. Whatever mark you leave, that will be their impression of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, well, I want to leave a good mark, but how? Well, the way Paul left a good mark was, let's follow his example. The way he left a good mark was by giving up his rights. He said, look, I have the right to take money from you, but I'm not going to. The way he left a mark, a good mark, in Jesus' name was to give up his rights. Now, you know where he learned that from, right? Pretty smart guy called Jesus. Paul learned the concept of giving up his rights from his king. The Bible says that Jesus became poor so that I could become rich. The Bible says that Jesus became sin so that I could be called the righteousness of God. You guys know me. I'm called the righteousness of God. You're called the righteousness of God. It's because Jesus gave up his rights. If you want to strike a blow that points to Jesus, give up your rights like he did. I'm talking practical. Give up your parking place at the store. Give up your right of way on the road. Here's one. Give up your side of the argument. Even though you're right, give up your rights. If you want to strike a blow, if you really want to leave a Jesus impression, if you're unselfish, if you give up your own rights. There's only one person in the whole history of the world that that really 
reminds me of. If you're unselfish, if you give up your rights, it can only point to Jesus who totally gave up everything for you and for me. Let's look at verse 10. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Okay? Boiled it down pretty simple there. Paul says, If he won't work, he shouldn't eat. If they won't work, they shouldn't eat. You guys seen the signs on the restaurants? No shoes, no shirt, no service. No work, no eat, Paul says. It's important now to clarify, though, this doesn't say if anyone cannot work. It says if they will not work. Right? We understand if you're physically disabled in some way, Paul is not talking about you. If you've recently become unemployed, Paul is not getting on your case. If you've recently become unemployed, your job now is to find your next job. And you need to commit to it with full force. See, Paul is talking about the abled-bodied person who has work available to them, but they won't. See, I've noticed sometimes in America, we become convinced that God wants us to have a certain standard of living. And we say, well, I lost my job, and I'm just going to wait, you know, six months or a year or two years if I need to. I'm going to wait for the job that God has for me that's comparable to my last one. The Bible doesn't ever say that he has a certain standard of living that he's promised you. There are folks that will say, look, I'm trusting in the Lord to bring me the job that's just like my last one or better. Paul had a formula for that. He said, look, if you don't work, you don't eat. Joe Foch, pastor up in uh, Philadelphia, says, says, apply this same logic to the one that you do to the other. says, if you're trusting in the Lord to bring you that perfect job, to float that job to you, he says, apply the same logic to your next meal. Look, I'm trusting in the Lord to make the sandwich and to float it into my mouth. It's like it doesn't make sense. Maybe you've heard people who won't take certain jobs and they pour mouth and they say, Look, I don't know how we're going to make this next month's rent. If they won't take jobs, what are they doing? Now they're making God the bad guy. It's like God's not coming through for them. Paul would tell that person very clearly, simply, look, dude, I don't know if he'd say dude, but he'd say, work at Walmart. Work at Taco Bell. Whatever you have to do until the, the job that the Lord does have for you does come through, right? Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. There's a principle there. If you will take whatever the Lord puts in front of you and you will do it with all your might, chances are He will give you more because you've shown that you are trustworthy with that. If you take the job at Taco Bell, chances are He will say, Okay, I can trust this one. I'll give him more. If you take the job and be faithful to it, God will be faithful to you. He will take care of you. He will trust you with more. Just like Waldo here. What, his first job was 50 cents? 50 cents uh, uh, an hour or a job or whatever it was. And he was the one at 104, looking back at the finish line, he said, Look, God's never left me hungry. He says, and I'm very secure in my next life as well. Look at verse 11 now. Paul... (laughs) Paul, you know, he's done beating around the bush. Not that Paul was ever a beating around the bush kind of guy. 
Verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. There's that word again. Out of rank. Not working at all, but are busybodies. Interesting, the word busybodies in the Greek, it literally means to, well, it means around work. You ever known people who are, they're not really working, they're just kind of around work. Just kind of hanging around. They're just hanging around those who are actually working and maybe telling them how to do it, how to do it better. The word means to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, useless matters. It's used of a person officiously inquisitive about others' affairs. Man, Paul nailed this one. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that someone who has a lot of time to critique isn't usually busy with stuff that's important. You guys ever notice that? The people that are the most critical of your ministry or the way that you raise your kids or any other thing are usually the ones who have the most time on their hands. And sometimes it's because they are not working. They will not work. Here's an application. And this can apply to us. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, I got a job, so this doesn't apply to me. Think about this. If you're not busy doing something constructive, Sooner or later, you will find yourself engaging in something that you'll call constructive criticism, but everybody else will see as destructive. Right? These people in Thessalonica, they weren't busy with their own bodies, so they became busy bodies. Their job turned into tearing other people down. You guys beginning to see how dangerous it is when someone walks out of rank with this epistle that Paul has written. Look at verse 12. Now, those who are such... We command and exhort. Interesting. The word commander, we've seen it, right? That's the one where it's, I'm passing down this command from my commander-in-chief. But the word exhort is a little friendlier. It's basically saying, look, we command you as an officer, but we also exhort you as a friend. Those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Short version of verse 12. Paul's saying, look, shut up, get a job, eat your own food. Their, their, their minds, these folks that, that Paul is specifically talking about, their minds were closed to the idea of work. And their mouths were open for free food. And their mouths were open to criticize those who were actually working. Paul's basically now stating what he wrote. Well, the very first thing we looked at, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul is saying, I guess you didn't get this, that you will also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. And that verse is key. Do you remember that? When we were going through the first Thessalonians, that last verse, verse 12, he says that you may walk properly with those who are outside. That's the key to having a good witness is to live a quiet life, mind your own business and work with your own hands. That will give you the foundation for a good witness. The, the result of living out 1 Thessalonians 11 is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. You will have a, what the scripture actually says is you'll have a beautiful walk. People will go, man, there's something about that guy. I don't know. I mean, he's always, I mean, he's quiet. He doesn't say much, but his actions say a lot. Look, we have two choices. When it comes to walking, 
according to the scriptures. According to Paul here, we have two choices. We can be disorderly. We can walk. We can do our own thing. We can be a busybody. We can be lazy. Spend more time thinking about other people, what they should be doing. And when we do, we will, people will see Jesus' ambassador. And you are Jesus' ambassador if you know him. If you follow him, they will see Jesus' ambassador being lazy and being critical. Or you can walk orderly. You can lead a quiet life. You can mind your own business. You can work with your hands. You can stay busy for the Lord. You can eat your own food and even have food to share. And what will people see? They will see Jesus' ambassador doing these things. You will leave a mark. You'll leave an impression. That's why Paul says, verse 13, but as for you, brethren, he turns his attention now to hopefully the the majority of the Thessalonians. I think so. He says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Maybe this morning you've been struggling to stay awake. And it's not because you stayed up and partied last night, but it's because you helped set up yesterday and you came early this morning and you have a full-time job and your family has needs and you serve the Lord with all of your heart. Paul says, don't grow weary. If that's you, this verse is for you. Or maybe, maybe you're just at the end of your rope and you're re- ready to give up on the whole serving God thing because it just seems like it's too much. This verse is for you. He says, don't grow weary. Don't give up. It's like Paul is saying, remember, this is in context with the the people who aren't working are being critical. They're saying, you know what? You really should do it this way. Paul is saying to these guys, look, the ones who are working, he's like, I know, I know. Definitely Paul would know. Paul says, I know you're working your tukas off. Can I say tukas in church? I don't know. I know you're working hard. He says, I know mostly what you get is criticism. Paul says, I know when you work hard, it seems like all you get is criticism from busybodies. You guys heard of Harrison's postulate? For every action, there is an equal and opposite criticism. Or Albert Hubbard said, to avoid criticism, just do nothing. Say nothing. Be nothing. Paul says, I know. I know that when you work hard, it seems like all you get is criticism. But you know what? In Galatians, how many people were with us in Galatians? Okay. Remember in chapter 6, there was a sentence just like this. But Paul finished the sentence. Let me read that for you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Paul says to what I believe is the majority of Thessalonians, Look, don't worry about the busybodies. Don't become discouraged. Just keep working hard for in due season we shall reap if we don't give up. You guys know another thing that soldiers are trained to do is to not be unduly influenced by what's going on around them. If a a soldier beside you goes AWOL, you're trained to, no, this is my job. These are my orders. These are my marching orders. I'm staying here. Verse 14, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. This is the second time in our text today that Paul's basically said withdraw. He says, note them and do not keep company with them. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually takes this even further. He makes an, an official decree because there was a specific person living in blatant sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, kick out that immoral brother. Don't let him into church. It was an official thing. But here it seems to be more less of, a, of an official action because there was more than one guy. There were people that were just like, okay, yeah, well, you know, if there's free food, I'm just not going to work. And Paul basically says, not so much an official action, he says, but listen, all you guys who are working hard, just withdraw yourself. Don't keep company with the guy who criticizes, who gossips, who has a lot of time on his hands. Don't keep having him over for dinner so that he can tell you about all the terrible people in church. Paul says, don't do that because you're enabling his laziness. Paul says, don't spend a lot of time with him. And he doesn't say it, but I think, you know what, if you do, if you spend a lot of time with a person like that, two things are going to happen. They're going to see your approval, your tacit approval. They're going to go, okay, that's cool. I can do what I want because, you know, he's a good Christian and he, he doesn't say anything. They're, and you're also going to find yourself becoming a gossip. How can you hang around a gossip for very long and not become a gossip or confront them? And he says, verse uh, 14 says, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. You guys know shame is underrated today. You know, there are things that we should be ashamed of. People don't like to talk about being ashamed because it doesn't seem like, well, you know, it's not nice. But there are things that we should be ashamed of. One of them, Paul says here, is laziness. The word ashamed, this is cool, I think, is intrepo. It literally means to turn about. The, the idea is that you turn from fellowship with that person. And, and the idea is, the hope is that they will turn to you and say, hey, what's the deal? I mean, like, we're not, we're not going out, we're not hanging out anymore. And you can say, verse 15 says, as, not as an enemy, as a brother, that's when you say, look, the reason I'm not hanging out with you anymore is this. Whenever we talk, it's, it's not edifying. I mean, you're a talented guy. You need to go and get a job. You need to get busy using the talents that the Lord has given you. You need to quit criticizing other folks. He says, and when I'm with you, I get sucked into it. And I don't want to do that anymore. This is really bold application, isn't it? Paul says, if someone is like that and they're continually like that and they're sucking you into that critical spirit with them, he says, just withdraw from them. So we see real applications here, don't we? <laughs> Number one, if you're a lazy, busybody. Now remember again, if you can't work because of physical disability or you've just recently lost your job, please don't. What happens with these, these messages is the wrong people walk out and go, I can't believe you just nailed me on that. And the, the, the other wrong people go, yeah, I'm glad he wasn't talking about me. Right? Please, please understand, is, is the Lord speaking to you? What I, what I say shouldn't matter anyway. Is the Lord speaking to you? If you are truly a lazy, busybody, the message today is get busy. Do something productive. Here's another message. If you are enabling a lazy, busybody, 
quit letting them spew their busybodiness. Can you say that? I don't know if that's a word. No, it's not. But quit letting them spew that on you. Quit letting them just vent on you and, tell, and telling you all these critical things. Stop them. Withdraw from them. And now verse 16 through 18, we're just going to pretty much read Paul's benediction, okay? He says, Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. We talked about this. You know, the Lord is the Lord of peace. If you're looking around for peace in other places, you're not going to find it. If you're like, oh, my, my schedule's so busy, I just can't wait for a moment of peace, that's not the peace that Jesus gives. Je- the peace that Jesus gives is in the midst of the storm. Verse 17, the, sal- the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. We saw earlier, Paul basically said, look, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe some uh, folks are forging my letters. So here he makes a very specific point to say, look, this, this part, these last few verses, they had something called an amunusis, and it was, it was an assistant that Paul had write. But he says, look, I'm writing these last couple of verses in my own handwriting. And you could definitely tell it was Paul's because it was probably huge because he had eye trouble. Okay? He says, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. He doesn't want them to mistake. This is actually me rewriting. So I write, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And aren't we thankful for the grace of Jesus? Right? Remember, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what that means? That even people who are lazy, busybodies, God loves. Right? He doesn't want you to stay that way, but He loves you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen?